All right. Well, we're here for episode 11 of the Shuttlecock Podcast. I'm here with Rick Homuth and Charlie Whitecamp. How are you guys doing? Excellent. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, Good no problem. So how, how's the, the trip to Kansas City been so far? Oh, I love coming back to Kansas City, um, especially when I'm busy like this. You know, so I got a lot of stuff to do with Charlie, of course, who's been running stuff really incredibly well. And, but I have, I have the best excuses to not hang out with people, which is really what I look for most in life is consistent reasons to bail. That's so good. It's great for that. No, yeah, because you'll, you'll, you'll come back to town occasionally mm-hmm. and everybody's just excited to see you like, hey, you should come out to this gig. And I guess it's a, it's a yeah. very good chance not to do that for once. Yeah, I mean, the, the gigs are nice because especially now that they're all kind of at the Blind Tiger, which it's every, I know everybody's going to be there, which mm. is cool, you know, so I can, very, I can concentrate on my it's very, it's very easy to avoid, just like very <laughs> concentrated. Right, right. But no, I mean, I, I, I love coming back to Kansas City so much. It's, I have such a good time here. Yeah, uh, um, so you grew up in the area, in right? actually, mm-hmm. just down college, as a matter of fact. So. Mm-hmm. And um, so what? So you, you were always kind of involved in the, the punk scene here. From, like, from about what age did you start going to shows and everything? Um, gosh, it was before I could start driving. I know that. Um, yeah, so I guess 15, when I was in high school, I started getting involved with stuff. Um, I met people... Through a, a friend, a mutual friend in high school, I met the dudes at the Saltwater Tavi House, which was more of like an emo screamo type venue down at Fifty First and Tracy, which is is long since passed on. But that was kind of my introduction to the DIY scene, and mm-hmm. it was like it was fantastic because I didn't, I had no, uh, just I had no idea what that sort of thing was or if it even existed. So up until that point. You know, I say this a lot, and it's really not that much of a joke that it, I listened to Limp Bizkit because I didn't really know what else there was. And so that just kind of flipped like a switch and then eventually obviously spread into, you know, punk and hardcore, which is, I think, where I, I'm most rooted in these days. Uh, and that's not a bad place to start, I guess. No, you know? absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, yeah, I guess, like, a lot of people... Like, honestly, for me, it's, like, almost been the opposite. Like, I started with, like, pop punk and, like, skate punk and that type of thing, and I got into hardcore. I'm like, oh, this is cool. But now, like, like I never had, like, a new metal thing, really. But so, now, like, now I'll hear, like, some Limp Bizkit song. Like, this is kind of tight. I don't know. Yeah, there's still, there's still time. Um, it's never too late to start to get down with, you know, the biscuit. But, um, so, so, it. I guess for you, it kind of took like going to an actual like DIY show for you to like latch on to the music. Like, you, did yeah. you not like know about many like like screamo and punk bands before you were going to shows? Pretty much. Yeah. Like, I think it was just the atmosphere that I I was so drawn to initially. You know, um, I think that uh, like you know the music was fine, and it was really incidental to the whole process of like a bunch of people who were young, like, doing something on their own and, like, building and creating and this and that and drinking. That was another big one. And uh, it just blew me away that that existed, like, under my nose because, you know, I was such a suburban rat until I went to Rockhurst where I met Charlie, and that was like, oh, okay, there's other things. There's things outside of, you know, Leewood. So that was nice. I guess that's pretty honest of you to admit that the drinking was an allure a lot of people are like yeah i just really like the community of it that's exactly why i got involved and like no a lot of people just wanted to party it and just that so was, happened that the community yeah. had a couch i could pass out on so that, that was nice 
That's that's a that's a good soundbite there. That's, <laughs> I guess so. Uh, but yeah, Charlie, when what were your first like experiences with punk music? Uh, I think it's like the same as Rick, honestly. Mm. Uh, I feel like my earliest memories of it were in high school, going to um, seeing sports or bait fish or. Um, that's right. I remember like seeing like fucking Stonehaven or Quicker or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm, stuff like that. I've kind of kept up with it a little bit, but not as much. I still go to shows probably once a month or so, but not I, a, And you've been a living in Kansas City the whole time or? Yeah, I've been yeah. in Kansas City most of my life. Mm. And yeah, I remember I saw you post at some point on Facebook that you were like just remembering bait fish and you were pretty excited about them at Definitely some point. fucking rules. <laughs> I still, like, I don't know, it just, if any of you guys are out there, shout out to Baitfish, because that shit was tight as hell, but, um. Oh, Gardenia, but, the pig. Oh, the pig, yeah. yeah. Shout out, Gardenia. <laughs> Hope you're sipping beer somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I never, I, I never did get to see Baitfish, but, um, I, I know, like, I don't, I don't think I've met any of those guys besides Josh, though, because I know Josh oh, yeah. is playing in a bunch of bands right now, he's mm-hmm. doing... Blue Healer and Mentita. Un- Unforgiven Five. Yeah, and that demo is fantastic. excellent. Um, so, you you uh, it, but you never did play in any bands. Not did you? in Kansas City. No. Um, I think the extent of my musical ventures in town was like me and some eighth grade buddies performed at the middle school talent show, and we did a Bouncing Souls cover. Ooh, so that was pretty cool. Um, and then, I mean, until I left for college, like, I didn't, you know, I stayed at my parents' house the whole time. So yeah. I, I had a drum set that I would, you know, play on and, and stuff like that. But I was never in any position to, like, practice or hook up with other guys to, like, put something together. Um, and I don't know. I just, I, I feel like I was, I, there was so much around going on that I just, I don't know. I was, I, I'm sure I was intimidated a little bit by it all. But once I got to Chicago and met other people, and they were kind of of a similar situation where it's like, well, we're, finally we're in a position to, like, give it a shot ourselves. And it, you know, sucked at first. Like, I remember being in a couple bands in the beginning that were terrible. And then eventually I came, I brought one of them to Kansas City from Chicago, which was really cool. I was in this band called Bed Sores. Um, and we played uh, the Suck Dry LP release. Yeah, at Art Closet. However many years ago at Art Closet, yeah. And so that was really awesome to, like, finally bring something back and be like, yeah, I wasn't just getting drunk on the couch. Like, these are, you know, there are lessons. That well, like, maybe you were, but well, now, yes. now that you're That was all incidental more. to personal <laughs> growth. Yeah, exactly. So that's good to hear. Mm-hmm. And uh, have you been playing anything since then? or? Uh, no, not since then. It's I, I did the Deacons tour and played OHC with those guys because I had to fill in on drums. Um, and that was last summer, so it's coming up on a year anniversary, actually. And that's been it. Like, I got my fix, <laughs> I guess. And, and you really can't ask for a better, better bunch of, of bozos to really go do stuff with. And so that was a great experience, too. But that was the last one. So maybe, maybe some other time. I've talked with people in Chicago, but, mm. you know. It must be kind of a bummer to come back home and a bunch of your friends have moved to Washington. So Yeah, it's every year <laughs> it seems like that happens. I totally get it. Yeah. Like, and, and I don't know, everybody who moves out to the Pacific Northwest just look so happy about it so Mm. it's like by all means spread your wings and fly that's i guess what i did to chicago which is way less healthy of a place than the pacific northwest i think but you know works for me so Mm. not as many pine trees but you know 
Had you played in uh, any bands while you no, no? Not too musically inclined, unfortunately. Mm. Charlie and I were two of the only guys in our high school who wore tight pants, though. That's, so that was a big part of what brought us together. Yeah, that's that's something you can be proud of. Like, yeah, <laughs> and we continue to be. I think. I can tell my grandkids about that. <laughs> yeah. Once they start doing waist down yearbook photos, like then you can point to that and be like, "See those those Levi's?" I thought you demanded them. I did. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so what? Do you have any like really specific like memories you guys have of like just being involved in Kansas City's punk scene, like? As a high schooler and that type of thing, like there was a show at the Sweat Lodge, um, which was it was like a fifty first and fifty fifth over there. It's yeah. Dylan's place, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was and um, oh, Andrew Hansbrough's band was playing, and it was like the middle of the summer, and it was so fucking hot. Oh, was it the there. Wiccan show when? Yeah, when it was the Wiccan Justin one. Street got shocked. Uh, Andrew was like screaming and like fell on his knees. He probably oh, doesn't yeah. want me to describe this because he's just not a fond memory, but <laughs> this was imprinted in me watching him because I couldn't tell if he was performing <laughs> but then afterwards when he was actually being electrocuted. Uh, yeah, so there was more than one electrocution when Wiccans played the Sweat Lodge. I don't know when that was, but yeah, I remember that. that was I think Wiccans went on after them and still did yeah. it again. Like, I think the bassist or something had to throw his bass to the ground because it was like... <laughs> By that point, they'd wisened up to it a little bit. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure I remember seeing like a video on Facebook of Dustin or whoever it was just like getting shocked and just like dropped. some yeah and someone just like put it into slow-mo too and they would like it replayed like a few times i'm like wow that's yeah could not have been fun no it was and it was obviously hot as hell in there too but you know i wasn't shocked so i can't really complain but <laughs> speed the heat is still bad independent of the shockings yeah, you know, I, I can't imagine it's much hotter in Kansas City than Chicago, though. Like, I mean, I it, it is. Yes, yeah. it's, it's we get as hot, but like there have only been maybe four, maybe four ninety and upwards degree days. Mm. Um, and I don't know. It's just it's like I, I was telling him yesterday. I was I got in my little brother's car, which who has been kind enough to let me borrow his car while I'm in town, and. Uh, there's a little temperature gauge, and it said, like, 104 degrees. And I was like, well, it must be broken, because that's, that's not real. We're not in Phoenix. Like, it's, I don't know, it blows my mind. Um, so hot. Do, do the shows in Chicago, um, like, I guess the, the temperature never really has anything to do with it, but, like, have you, have you been going to a lot of shows while you've been out Lately, there? Lately, yep. yeah. Um, not as much as I did back in the day, I guess. But, um, yeah. I go, I try, I mean, especially it's in Chicago at this point, and it's been this way for a few years, uh, or probably even longer than that. There's kind of like the north side scene and the south side scene, where it's very similar people, but there's like a handful of venues on the north side that are like sort of close to each other, and then same thing on the south side. Mm. And the south side ones are a lot more fun, but I don't live on the south side anymore, so I mean, if it's a weeknight or something, or I have other things to do... Chances are, you know, I'm more willing to hop on my bike and pedal over to one of the, the north side spots instead. Yeah. So it's just kind of a travel thing, like just mm-hmm. taking the time to get yeah. between the two areas. Right. Yeah, exactly. But uh, like we, we had a bunch of people hanging out Fourth of July on the south side. There was a big show, like a benefit type thing. And that was a lot of fun. So it's, it's worth the trek, I think, a lot of mm-hmm. times. And 
I don't know if there there's much truth to this, but I was I was talking with a friend of mine from Chicago, and he was telling me about how like there are, like like all the different kind of subgenres have their own little scenes to an extent, and they don't overlap too much. Like he's saying, like there's a bunch of like power violence shows, and the power violence bands don't play with like like the '80s hardcore type bands. Yeah, that, so. there's that's definitely true mm. in a lot of ways. Um, because it's it's bigger, so you kind of have that luxury. Where in, in in towns like Kansas City, I mean, the the sub genres kind of stay distinct. But eventually, if you gotta have a show, like you obviously are, are gonna be friends with one of those people, and just you have to make it work. Whereas in Chicago, there's more people, so you have the luxury of being able to segment everything, I guess. Mm. And it's Which, you know that's it, not I, I don't think that's a, a good thing to mm. say, but like yeah, there's definitely like suburban like beat down hardcore stays in the suburbs and then there's like weird little pockets of vaguely racist black metal around the suburbs i don't know it's it's weird but yeah so it definitely it gets a little um partitioned i suppose Mm. uh but so you you moved to chicago to to go to college right you were Mm -hmm. at uh depaul yeah and what 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 really made you make that decision like in the first place? Well, um, I'd always been to Chicago when I was younger because I have family out there in the mm. suburbs. But like my dad grew up in Jefferson Park, which is in Chicago city limits. So he's definitely one of those people that's like, if he meets somebody who's like, oh, I'm from Chicago. And he asks where? And they say like Naperville or something. And he's like, well, that's not Chicago. So I guess I have that in my blood. Maybe. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just, man, I don't know. There's something about the big cities like that, that just really drew me in. Um, and I just, yeah, I just wanted to be around the tall buildings and like the trains and stuff. And there's so much more going on. Just the whole urban thing just really appealed to me. And, uh, what, what, what have you been studying at DePaul? I got an English degree. Mm. So, um, if anybody's a job out there, I'm fluent in English passably. So keep that in mind. Um, so, I guess we'll get to why the both of you are here. You're in town for um, the KC Fringe Fest, and you have uh, the play you have called Neighborhood Goons. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about the play. Well, I guess the background starts with Charlie's been, this is his third year doing a show for the Fringe Festival. So I guess I'd be interested to hear how you got into it in the first place. Um, I... Um didn't like working with most other people, so I started <laughs> doing it myself um, with some friends. And uh, it's been mostly a series of, um, uh, I guess, experiments. Uh, it's hard to... You can do fully formed shows, but you, you better use the opportunity to actually try some different things because the whole nature of going through the Fringe Festival is it's kind of a hectic, quick set up, tear down, um, you don't have a whole lot of time in the space, so you, it really is to your benefit to uh, take chances and whatnot, but uh, yeah, it's the third year, uh, this is uh, the first time we're doing one that uh, I didn't write, so thank God. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what, what were the, the other ones you've worked on in the last couple of years? Uh, the last show, the show we did last year was uh, one I wrote about a group of people that ran a news station uh, in hell, essentially. Um, and that was called The House of the Devil is a Hot Mess. 
and it was a um, kind of stumbled uh, backwards into the fake news phenomenon of last year, um, which was... Uh, it's very topical in its own way. It was a blessing and a curse. It's not, <laughs> uh, it's not intentional, but uh, it uh, really uh, it, galvanized the uh, audience. Didn't you say somebody was interviewing you about it and like totally got the wrong idea or something like... I don't, I don't gosh, yeah, I don't no, there was a, it was, it was just, I mean, like, we've been writing it for a year, and then I think it was, like, in June or May last year, and the fake news stuff really started blowing up, and <laughs> uh, it was just, like, a really weird, um, I, I, don't, I, I don't really have much regret about it, uh, but it was <laughs> it, it, it became so sharply political, like, kind of on accident almost, or unintentionally. Yeah. Not that it was never political, in, in my understanding, because I didn't see it, I just read it. And, <laughs> well, I mean, um, the idea was just that it was about um, people choose what to report, and that is the, I mean, the, like the base level of the bias. Right. And the kind of, the, yeah, it wasn't really supposed to be a left or a right kind of thing, but mm-hmm. uh, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, uh, we, <laughs> uh, Rick started writing this thing like four or five years ago. Oh my God, yeah. Something was, like that. It was just like, because the show Neighborhood Goons is set ostensibly in the south, near south side neighborhood of Bridgeport, Chicago. Mm. Um, it's never really stated explicitly, but um, and I, I guess I started writing it when I was I lived there, and that was four years ago. So I mean, I don't want to make it sound like this was four years in the making, because then anybody who sees it's going to be like that <laughs> was four years in the making. <laughs> but in a way, it was. I mean, that's where it really took root. Um, because it's just the whole the premise of the show is is kind of, at, at once a love letter to all the people that I hate down there, but you know just love the the just the idea of those people I guess which you know you can interpret that in any number of ways but it it's so very very vaguely based on people I know down there and things I saw happen and in a fun way I hope. Um, it's very... Go ahead. Can you name any of the people that it's... Uh, <laughs> yes. Johnny from 39th Street, <laughs> fucking coming for you, man. <laughs> You're a dead man. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was, just, it was just one of those things, and it seemed like such a sharp image of this little racist enclave in the south side of Chicago where everybody eats hot dogs and goes to White Sox games, supposedly. <laughs> um, and just gets drunk and hits each other. Like, it's, and that's kind of where it came from. And it, it's weird. It sounds so strange that that is something I, I look at fondly. It's because it's not, you know, a fondness. It's just, it's so funny going down there. It's, it's, it's almost a, a relic just trapped in time, some of these very ancient institutions and hot dog joints. Yeah, prejudices. It's, it's just very cartoonish, I can imagine. Just it's kind cartoonish of like in its own a way. spectacle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's the. I think Chicago is such a culturally rich and diverse city, and this is a part of town that has actively fought against that more than maybe any others. And that's ironic now for two reasons. One is because there's two black guys in the play now, so I like that a lot. And that was actually Charlie's doing. So I think that really <laughs> it's it sends I think counters that narrative of. Bullshit that so many people like to latch onto in certain parts of not not only Chicago but the country, and then two, Bridgeport is I think one of if not the most diverse neighborhood in Chicago now, where it used to be, you know, the opposite of that. So, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I don't know. And um, so, yeah, you were saying it took um, quite a long time to write. Like, I guess maybe you were, like, on and off with it or... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it... It didn't really become a realistic endeavor until Charlie came up to Chicago one winter and was like, hey, fucking do it. And I was like, man, I don't know, what is it... One of this and that. He's like, hey, write the fucking thing and we'll do it. <laughs> and I was like, all right, okay, I will. And did. And, uh, yeah, it's still, it's, it blows me away that it's finally happening. And is this the first one that you've written before? Mm-hmm. So uh, how long, like, had you had any experience in theater before this? Or uh, I mean, we both did theater stuff in high school. Mm. And I, I did, I dabbled before that, too, um, and definitely the comedy and improv shit, too, at Rockhurst High School. Go Hawklets. And, uh, and that, another thing that's interesting about that is there are a lot of our high school, like, colleagues in the show that are cast. So, you know, we like to keep it in the family. Mm. You know, hardcore belongs in the streets. So does theater. <laughs> that's the way we see it. Is, is, was, was doing theater back in high school something you ever, like, caught flack for, like, from, like... The punks and oh, I'm sure. Whoever. Um, well, I guess the no, punks not so much because I think it's it's it is it's a very I think people view those two things at at odds, and understandably so. Um, They're so similar. But I think in a lot right. of ways, you know, just the pageantry and this the style and the presentation, the drama, the the overall <laughs> performance, because yeah. you know, so much of punk culture is about performance, and I say that lovingly, like you know. Fashion and and you know lingo and just you know style and it's a lot of it is performative and I think that's what draws so many people to it initially. I myself would fall into that category and so I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But that's where I think the similarities begin, you know. And this isn't some grand philosophical treatise I've, I've developed in my head. I mean, these just dots kind of they sort of connect when you take a step back and look at it. So from the punk kids, no. From the football players, maybe. But even then at Rockers, one of the cool things about an all-boys high school was, you know, there's no girls to impress. So it's like, what does somebody really have to gain from shoving you in a locker, really? It's like they just kind of, you know, you keep to yourself. And that was good, you know. So that I think that part, we, we were fortunate in that regard. Mm-hmm. And the way you were kind of describing the Fringe Fest before, like, it's from, like, I haven't been to one before, but, like, the the way you described it makes it sound like a very like DIY show setup, you know, like you're mm-hmm. tearing down and setting stuff up quickly, and it's it's all local folks who are involved. So mm-hmm. I Absolutely. guess yeah, it's it's so much from the ground up. Like, and I you know Charlie doesn't like to flaunt his accomplishments, but you, you build all this shit, and it's incredible. Like the you know the sets and the bars, and it's just really I don't know. Yeah, what something, what are what incredible. what's some of the the set stuff that you worked on for the show? Oh well, we only get uh, about ten fifteen minutes to set up a set, and we have to tear it down in a similar amount of time at the end of the show. So everything's built with that in mind. But uh, we built, uh, I guess, six or seven stage walls um, and a bar, and then uh, accumulated some other stuff like uh, couches and stools and restaurant tables and Rick. Brought some Malort from Chicago, which I highly recommend if you hate yourself. Yeah, I don't um, know if you're familiar with Malort, but it's like a Swedish liqueur mm. made with wormwood, I think, and it's. Is wormwood in it really? I think so. Oh, okay. 
Maybe I'm thinking of absinthe, but I don't know. I think maybe it's both. But it's just, it tastes like grapefruity earwax, I guess. And that's a Chicago tradition, is tricking people you love into drinking this disgusting, vile thing. And that's another thing I just think is so funny. Like, Mm -hmm. that is such a, a quintessential... Chicago tradition. Yeah, I, I would have no idea if, yeah. if it were not for this play. Yeah, yeah, I mean, neither right. is really a treat from the right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing that happened in the process. Was, uh, well, I made sure to bring two because the characters drink it, two bottles of it. The characters drink it in a scene. It's all, it's all authentic yeah, of it. Yeah. yeah, but I wanted, we wanted to make sure everybody involved had some of it just yeah. for the authenticity of yeah, it, you yeah. know, just to really mind your P's and Q's and, and, and not shout some fake ass shit about posing and thinking you know what's up with the Lord when you really don't so Johnny 39th Street I'm watching you oh, when when was your first experience with with consuming that yeah oh, like gosh. did someone trick you into drinking I it? think yeah. so probably it was just one of the because I, I had been living in Chicago for probably a couple of years and had mm-hmm. never heard of it um, and then eventually somebody was like yo let's drink Malort I think I was with a friend of mine who's had friends from out of town. And he looked at me and he was like, right? And I was like, yeah, totally, man. And I, I figured it was like, because it, it looks like it has kind of a yellowy piss color to it, you mm. know? And I'm talking like dehydrated piss. Like you haven't, you've been running a marathon. It hasn't yet turned brown or red, but it's on its way. Like You're that color. Killing your chances of writing for this brand. <laughs> You're right. I think... It's shrinking anyway. It's a very hard times. The family, the Jepson family, is a very incestuous bunch, and that's it's Jepson's Malort is their brand. Um, but now, and I'm getting off track on this. There's like craft Malort <laughs> yeah. distillers too. There's like more than one in the Chicago area, and they kind of compete for the market mm. of the best preferred shittiest beverage on the planet. Yeah, what market? I don't know. Tricking your friends. I think <laughs> that's the market. Like. I would like to see the financial breakdown of that, actually, because I think a significant, significant chunk of their revenue stream comes from people who want to trick their friends from Iowa or something who come to town. you got to roll this back, though. I mean, to all the Malort producers that are listening. <laughs> we will take sponsored yeah. bottles. Um, I can do a full 180 on this. Yeah, I, will, I renounce everything yeah. I just said. It's delicious. Um, For surprisingly like little money, too. Yeah. yeah. It's a cost-effective <laughs> way to dupe people close to you. Uh, so yeah, I, I guess I can't say specifically when my first rendezvous was, but I assume it was, I, I probably was tricked. Mm. And then, then once you're in on it, you're like, I can't wait to feel less stupid by pulling the reversal on everybody I know. So um, I think yeah. that's the, the same with any, you know, good prank is like yeah. turning it around on someone else. Mm-hmm. It's a gift that keeps on giving, I suppose. But, um... So I might be mistaken, but have you done like work for like alternative papers in Chicago, or am I thinking alternative of someone papers else? in Chicago? Um, no. Oh, okay. Well, uh, a friend of mine, this guy Ray, did this thing called No Friends, which was like a magazine, and I think we might have talked about it at some point in, mm-hmm. in days past, but. And that was a pretty cool kind of zine. It's like a uh, more Chicago-based maximum rock and roll, I suppose, mm-hmm. with like uh, album reviews and things like that. So I, I did a few for that one issue. And I think that's kind of on hiatus right now. I'm not sure. But so, yeah, I've done stuff like that. And then a couple friends of mine do like zines and kind of try and, 
you know, support or contribute to that in any way. Um, but in terms of like, I don't know, respectable Chicago publications now, I've, I've Absolutely nothing to do with any of those. I, I know people who do, and they're very talented, like mm-hmm. Chicago Reader and stuff like that. Um, not yet. Yeah. But, but you have been writing for the Hard Times for a bit now. Yeah, I think Hard Times, i, I got to be coming up on two and a half years. Oh, and that, I feel like that's maybe that's like most of its like existence. Like maybe I, it was definitely, it's, been, years, it's been at least three years, I think. I don't know. I don't have my timeline exactly straight right now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I love the Hard Times. It's it's such a fun bunch, and um, how how did you first uh, get in contact with the like the staff there and everyone? I think I just cold pitched. Mm. Um, I saw some friends of mine were sharing different stories that they liked, and I think some of the earlier ones, like one of the my favorites of all time, which was one of the earlier days, was uh, the headline was "Let's just combine the show." <laughs> Says total fucking idiot. And it's just little, very specific articles like that that tap into this sort of milieu that you don't, you don't realize other people understand, you yeah. know, because you think, like, this is a thing that my friends and I did when we were in high school with other stupid high schoolers and then 20-somethings. Yeah, you don't, you don't always realize it's the, the same across yeah. the country and right. around the world. Yeah, it's like... I don't know. It, when, you, when I imagine Henry Rollins realized there were people doing the same thing on the other side of the country. What I, I'm equating the two, by the way. Um, you know, the hard times and its artistic vision is the same as the, the first wave of American hardcore. So we're very equal terms in terms of influence, just yeah. to be clear. So, yeah, um, perhaps he was, he was riding, get in the van, and then someone called him and he's like, yeah, it's the same over here. And he's like, oh, man, this is a lot less exciting. Yeah. And that was, <laughs> it, it kind of echoes the, and this was another article I like. This one came after I'd been brought on board, but by actually the Ray guy I mentioned earlier. It was mm-hmm. uh, the new f- GPS feature is like Henry Rollins doing your GPS and telling you how much harder it would be to get there in the 80s or something. Yeah. You know, shit another like that. Classic. But what, what have been some of the favorites that you've written while you've been there? Um, I think still one of my favorites is one of the first I ever wrote. Like this is one that I pitched in my initial email that I sent to Matt. I was just like, Hey, you know, I think, you know, I got some ideas and I'd love to help out. And it was, um, band booked at sober space makes another trip to the van, which I maintain isn't even a joke. It's just like a thing that happens. Like there are sober spaces in Kansas city, in Chicago, in fucking any, city in the, in the country that does stuff like this and is weary of stupid people. And any time that a band plays there or some kind of band is going to want to drink beers in the van, you know, DBs in the V, that's just a fact of life. And that's so, it's just tapping into that truth that a certain subset of people know and understand and have realized is the case. Mm. And then they see it on Facebook and they're like, holy shit, like somebody else... I don't want to say gets it because it's not like it's not deep or anything. It's just yeah. a joke about people drinking beers in the van. But uh, I think that is was the strongest part of the hard times and what it can accomplish and how it I think became as big as it is and spread as fast as it did. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, doing no small part to the editorial team because those guys really do a tremendous amount of work. Um, but yeah, I just uh, 
But, I'm, yeah, I'm what, hard times biggest fan. Are there are there anyone any other ones that stick out to you that like? Because I don't know. I feel like you've written like how, how many do you think it's you've been done a while? I don't know. Um, I I honestly couldn't put a figure on it mm. uh, because yeah, it's just it goes like there will be months where I can't come up with anything good, and then I'll have like a really solid few weeks where I'll do like a bunch of them at once. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I. I Maybe a dozen or two. Mm-hmm. But I know you also are often in charge of the photo that goes along with each article, and you've um, picked out, like, a few uh, Kansas City folks to, to be yeah. in some of those. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I know you put uh, Dakota and Sophie in one. Right. Oh, did you write that article, too? No, 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 I didn't write that one. But, yeah, uh, that article was, like, uh, man turns into music historian... Uh, like yeah, just like ex- well, it magically turns into yeah. music historian when talking to woman. Yeah, and I yeah, think wrote that, and that one's hilarious and got like a shitload of shares. You have like Dakota showing Sophie a record, and mm-hmm. I don't even know that's what in is. my apartment too. They yeah. were visiting me, and I guess the way the photo stuff works, uh, and this was also somewhat easier earlier on before people who knew what they were doing got on board to take photos. Not that there were never people like that, but now there's a lot more. There's a couple more people who have like photo chops yeah. and I've always done it with just my smartphone and that's why I've kind of stopped doing them as much because like compared to some of the other photos people are taking it's really like well orchestrated and shit like that mm. like god what was the one the other day that Sari wrote it was like fucking home it was basically home birth at a punk show was the premise yeah. and it was just a woman in like a bikini top in a bathtub and just a, like a dozen people around her and it was hilarious and the, the photo was just like a solid photo can just nail the article. Mm. And so, um, yeah, and the way it works is there's, like, a big Excel spreadsheet where Chris, who is the art director, uh, just lists um, the articles that need artwork, if be it a Photoshop or a pose job or, like, for a while, for example, there was this character that we do hard-style articles with where it's basically just, like, he was my old roommate, uh, and he was just this douchebag art hipster asshole in this black sun hat and goofy glasses and like all these this hippie shit. And he was he's been in like four or five different <laughs> articles. And so, you know, and so I know yeah, you, art's great. I know you got Shane in a photo once yeah, as well. That's, yeah, Shane was he was really <laughs> stoked to do it because like uh, believe it or not, there's not a lot of people with face tattoos in this country, I guess, or as many as you might expect. And uh and so there was some article that we, and nobody really had somebody on retainer. And I was like, well, luckily I do, because <laughs> I know Shane. And this was not too long after he got his second face tattoo, so it was perfect, because it's, you know, a, a better ratio of ink to skin coverage, which is very important for photography and artwork. So um, yeah, pro- It probably, nice. like, secured a few more shares of the photo. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, what was funny about that is, is Bill told me he got... And he saw, like, an angry email that one of Shane's buddies wrote <laughs> and was like, uh, I hope you, like, ask permission before you use that photo because otherwise that's really fucked up. And it's <laughs> like, yeah, we totally did. He took it himself. Um, but, yeah, that, that headline was uh, man with face tattoo. It's, like, it was like, that chick's totally crazy, says man with face tattoo in yeah. history of arson. Yeah. I don't remember who wrote that one, but it was... Another another hard times classic. Absolutely, heavy hitters. Um, on the streets. But yeah, um, 
Have, have you so have you been to Fringe Fest in Kansas City before or no? Is, yeah? I haven't. Um, so it's my first time, and I'm mm. very excited to see how it goes. We it, saw the space not too long ago. Mm. Yeah, and uh, had a kind of a snafu there. Yeah, it's the beauty of uh, the festival. It's a lot of different moving parts, and they don't always communicate as well as they should. Mm-hmm. So there can be uh, mishaps, but that's that's kind of the that's the fun of it. Mm. It's a really great organization. They've do so much to subsidize and make these kind of things possible for people like us that don't necessarily have the kind of funds to do it the uh, more traditional way. And I know this is your third year participating, but is yeah. is this something that you've been aware of and like maybe attending for any longer than that? Uh, I've probably been going to for five years. Um, perhaps never as frequently as I should have. Um, you can see one show, or you can see a lot of shows. Um, I think they generally have around 100 different shows with uh, probably close to three, 400 performances total. Um, I, don't, I think it's actually literally impossible to see all of them, uh, all the different shows, I mean. Mm. Um, but yeah, about, probably about four or five years intermittently. And um, you, you're t- telling us about the, the news station one, but... W- do you, what was the one you worked on before that? I know you said you did at least one more. Oh, yeah, we adapted a piece that was used for um, a friend of mine who uh, graduated from the conservatory in town, and his uh, recital piece was this adaptation of a Greek myth that we did, and uh, that was kind of uh, a good opportunity for us to sort of see what it took to put something on stage. It's kind of a good introduction to yeah, the Yeah, and then like it's, it's like every year you kind of want to, take a, another big step or sort of put yourself out of your depth even further. Um, so then the year after we did a show that was like a 45 minute, the news station one that there was no scene break. So it was just start to end and stop, which was a, a nightmare to do. Um, but a lot of fun. Uh, and then like this year we we're trying to really do up the set and we brought in a director and, uh, uh, we're, our, um, we've always worked with fantastic actors. And, um, this year in particular, we have, um, a couple, of people that are graduate students at the um, UMKC uh, theater department, which is incredible to work with, in addition to other folks of varying degrees of experience. So, and it, it sounded like you were kind of relieved when you mentioned that you were um, not writing one this year and that you were just or directing, doing, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so I'm imagining you're a lot busier while. It's happening, but, like, you don't have to do quite... Well, I know, I'm sure you have to do, like, a lot of prep, too. Hmm. But, um, yeah, what what makes that a, a much different experience? Uh, well, from the writing perspective, it's difficult to be so close to something and um, then be, uh, with a lot of help, of course, but then be so responsible for bringing it into existence, particularly then if you are also partially responsible for directing it because there's just this there's real no, no degree of separation from it at all. Um, and then um, and in addition to that, um, not having to direct it this year sort of helps to focus on the other production aspects uh, that may be less glamorous. I don't, that's maybe what most people would say, but um, the sort of <laughs> management or design or build or like, you know, the press release stuff, the person who takes notes, the, e- the person who sends out the emails and all that, um, those are, it's hard to find people that want to do that, but I don't really, I'm, I'm pretty happy to do it, so it was much easier just to find a director then. It's been a great, um, 
you don't always have to be on. You know, you're not spending the whole day getting stuff ready and then have to run the rehearsal. It's that's that is that's great. And is is like, do you have more like writing ideas and stuff you want to direct in the future, or are you becoming kind of comfortable like just doing what you're doing this year? Oh, I, I'm definitely intend to keep writing and would um, like to direct again at some point. Uh, I don't really don't have a, a huge amount of education in this, and so I've been trying to learn by uh, observation or uh, osmosis or something. But uh, eventually, I'd like to get further into it. But um, I'm always most concerned with building a healthy and good infrastructure, mm. working with good people, and um, figuring out the best way to delegate and stuff like that. I guess that would sort of be my goal. But uh, there's there's definitely projects that I am working on that I hope to be able to uh, at least, you know, stop talking about it the next year and actually fucking do. <laughs> but uh. And, yeah, and Rick, so what what do your responsibilities really become like when it's time for the the production to actually happen when you're the writer? Well, usually what I do when I get there is I go to Charlie's fridge and see how much beer he has. That's good. And then I crack open a cold one, and then um, I take it from there, really. Uh, no, that, that's that been the interesting part of it is I, I came in pretty late in the game. So where, and this was, I was you know pretty nervous about it because when you're – someone like me who fancies himself a, a creative type and you a, after a certain point when you write the script you hand it over and cooler heads must prevail and thank god charlie is one of the coolest heads around because he can be very realistic and and know what goals must be accomplished to make it happen and this was the case when we had to pare it down for the time slot when I, I find, found myself almost unable to cut because I was just like, it's my art, god damn it. No, it can't, it has to go this way. And, and you know, obviously it's, it, he does an excellent job of figuring out what needs to be done. Um, but going back to when I, like, showed up for the first time and just watched it happen, I was pretty nervous that I was like, what if I, what if I hate it and it's totally different than in my head or something. Mm-hmm. Thank God it wasn't, but that's just sort of the reality of the role of the writer is, you know, after a certain point, you, you step back and you're in the back seat. Hopefully there's beer. There might not. It might be warm. I don't know. It's tough to say. But, like, that's even a problem that I've heard of. I know people that work on more, like, like high, like, professional NBC-level shows, and they say that the writers, even on that level, are just fucking awful because they hover and they have nothing to do and they have no reason to be on the set, but they're just like, hey, what are you doing? What if you did it like this? And so, yeah, that's been, you know... Uh, an opportunity for growth, I guess, is, um, I, I mean, I don't know. I think my, my job at this point is to support the director and Charlie and um, maybe buy beer sometimes. Well, he's uh, been taking notes and relating to the actors, and um, Rick and I are also uh, stagehands number one and number two, which is yeah, that's the true. most glamorous yeah. part of all of this. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so be, you'll, you'll be up there, like, moving stuff and getting everything prepped? I guess so. We haven't really run through that yet because we haven't had our tech rehearsal because of, we had a snafu a few days ago. Um, but it's tonight. It's tonight. But it's tonight, so, so we'll figure it out, yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, these are, like, all things we've kind of um, implemented. Uh, we've walked through, I guess. But... Um, yeah, Rick and I are going to be the people backstage throughout the whole thing. It's kind of the, the, the beauty of it, you know, is that that's, 
you 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 just have to do everything like yeah you, you can't delegate and stuff it's funny working with other people that haven't done the this sort of stuff before because mm. you don't just get like you can't just you can't go ask your friend if they want to sit backstage six nights a week for like three <laughs> hours and like do fucking nothing like right. no one wants to do that so, uh, another diy aspect of it i guess is exactly every, everybody's working that and the nihilism yeah. for sure yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> and uh but uh i'm Hopefully everyone on on the set has has a good attitude. Uh, oh no, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So far they do. Yeah, yeah as no, far as I can tell. We've only like have had no bad experiences at all. I mean, everybody's cool. Like it's um, it's a really generally open environment. That's part of the reason that we like doing them ourselves. And I think a lot of other groups are similar. Um, and I, it's not anything revolutionary, or whatnot. But um, I mean, we don't. This isn't like a. We're not just dictating what happens, um, like kind of what Rick was referring to. I'm not saying he was advocating for it, but I, if if you just try to control every aspect of this, then it's not going to be fun to work on, and you're also uh, you're too close to it. You're not going to be able to see things. It's useful to work in an environment. I mean, like in any creative capacity, where everybody knows that they are valued, not just in their particular role, but in just the general input they can have for the project. And um, I think that by like facilitating that, it really Make sure that you produce the best thing possible. Mm-hmm. So, so the the nihilism is a more like personal thing for everyone. <laughs> I, mean, I guess it's fucking die after you're done just, with them. You know, like you yeah. spend all this time doing it, and then it's just gone. And it's like, yeah, it's like it's like same with the. I mean, it's similar to like the the punk shows and shit. Um, but like, you know, you don't record it generally, and mm-hmm. then it's just like it's, yeah, that's they're just it, like, you know? oh man, next year, come on, let's go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, but I mean, sort of the. I mean, it's like I think part of what made like. Part of what makes going to, to to DIY shows so much fun is that there is this very like temp, temporary aspect to it. Yeah, um, there's this moment in time. It's this communal experience. Yeah, it's kind of like a short escape from anything yeah. else, I guess. And there's there's I mean you're either there or you're not. Like I mean I was, I was found that really attractive. Absolutely. And. Um, so yeah, um, do do either of you guys have any big plans after um, the production this year, or are you just gonna kind of get back to the drawing board? Well, we're talking with Columbia Pictures about filming this <laughs> the fall, but uh, no, I mean I I think back to the drawing board is is not a a bad way to put it because mm. it's it's like Charlie said. I mean, when it's done, it's over. It's not a movie. It's not a TV show. You know, even if it was a band, like, fuck, half the bands I've ever been in have a demo, and then that's it, and they're done, and that's it, and you never, nobody ever listens to it again. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just, you kind of keep looking forward, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to do something like this again, and I, I hope Charlie will be, do another Fringe show next year, and I'd like to drink his beer then, too, you know? So, perfect. I guess as someone who doesn't know much about the theater scene in general, like, is it common for people to like take the shows they do at Fringe Fest and like bring them to other venues afterwards or like tour on them or like anything like I that? Is it? Uh, it's. I wouldn't say it's common, but it's not super rare. Mm. Um, there's. It's not. I think every year a couple of the shows get remounted in town, um, generally through companies that have already kind of have a space and have been do their own shows, have their own seasons. Mm. I, I have heard of. Um, Shows getting traveling a little bit, but um, I, 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 I don't think there's any precedent for something like kind of yeah, just more of an exception into the cultural than, consciousness yeah. from this. Uh, but 
It's mm. nobody's going to discover us. It's not mm. like you know. Yeah, that's like I mean, you you. Um, I feel like it's so important just not to get overly. Like it's not all or nothing. These are always just like I always use the word experiments, I guess. But this is just like a learning process, mm-hmm. and figuring out. I mean, not just like what kind of stories you want to tell, but like how you pace stories or how you like reveal information or just how you. Um, I just just the methods in which you try to do it are can be so interesting, especially with something like performance because it's. There's, I mean, it's it's so dynamic but so stagnant, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah. But, uh, Rick, so I know you mentioned earlier that, like, you did, like, theater and improv in high school. And, like, I can hate improv now. Yeah, you hate improv? Yeah. So I guess that was going to kind of lead me to ask, well, like, since you do write for the hard times, too, like, do you, have you found yourself interested in, like, doing comedy? Because, like, is, is, like, I'm guessing there are some really funny aspects to the, the production, so. Well, I, <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um <laughs> As a matter of fact, no, I, I don't <laughs> like comedy. No, I do. It's, I, I, that, that's not a very good way to put it. I like writing for the hard times, one of my favorite fucking things I do. So many of those people are funny. Mm. But comedians are assholes, and I hate them, and I don't give a shit about them. And I hate this whole thing as like, woe is me, I want to be a stand-up comedian, and I just, oh, God, I'm so neurotic, and fucking, I'm going to go on Mark Maron's podcast, and we're going to talk about how we just can't quit smoking, and it's this fucking noble thing we do. It's the last pursuit of the spoken word, and just fucking respect me. I don't care if I'm not funny. I'm doing it, and isn't that what matters the most? And it's like, no, it's not. Shut the fuck up. I can't stand it. So, honestly, no, I like stand-up comedy a lot. Sorry. I just, I, ah, it's... I don't know. I have a lot of comedian friends, and a lot of them are really funny. Mm. Um, and then a lot of them aren't. And I don't know. It's like I, I was in Los Angeles not too long ago for uh, just, I was, you know, out there traveling and happened to be there at the same time as a hard time stand up comedy showcase. And mm. it was a great time. Like everybody who performed there was really funny. And I got to meet some hard times writers in the flesh. And talk to them and hang out with them and it was great and hear about the inner machinations of the comedy scene and um, I really enjoyed it but just so much of that greater subculture I find to be so just up its own ass for the the most senseless reasons Hmm. Um, you don't see yourself like giving it a shot but like just not taking it seriously at all and like not trying to get real personal about it. I, I have always had this idea of showing up at an open mic with a bag of Laffy Taffy and <laughs> just reading the jokes off because <laughs> um, there's I've been to uh, people ask me like about the comedy scene in Chicago and I never know what to say because I've intentionally tried to avoid it because hmm. I've been to a few open mics in Chicago and they're just bad I mean you, some you never, of them are funny never run into Hannibal or Lil Rel or <laughs> anyone no <laughs> Hannibal shows up at this bar that I go to every now and then cause that does open mics but I've never been there at the same time but I've had friends who was like yeah it was you know Hannibal Burris and I like totally took a photo together so like whatever <laughs> I guess I'm just hanging out in comedy scene or something but I don't know it's it's just it's it's not my favorite I, I've I've thought about doing it like when I was younger I was like man stand-up comedy would be cool Mm. but just the whole I don't know it's not my cup of tea I guess Mm. in the the grand scheme of things but I I think that's very separate from comedy writing and other sort of venues for comedy Mm. like when I say I'm not into comedy what I think what I mean is I'm not into stand-up comedy as much because like 
solo me. I'm funny. I deserve to be recognized because I am up here being funny. Applaud for me. You know, you know what I mean? I don't know. I guess I'm not just, maybe I'm not describing this very well, but it's just, uh, I don't like Mark Maron. I feel like I, I, I said that once, but it bears repeating. And so, so you're just kind of like more of a fan of the craft rather than the personality of it, I guess. I suppose that's true. Because like I love, you know, there are certain stand-up comedians that I really like, like Mike Birbiglia. Love him. Hannibal Burris. Love him. Pat Oswalt. Mostly love him. Like shit like that. Like a lot of this stuff I do enjoy. And, and when it's well done, like watching well done stand-up comedy, it's like, wow, like. It's crazy. Like, and they're selling it and they're using the space and they're speaking into the microphone without spitting on everybody. Like, I don't know, certain <laughs> things like it is a craft. Mm. Like you can't deny that, but that's just a bunch of it. Some, some, something about it just can rub me the wrong way. Mm. I don't know. Is that, is that something you take any interest in, Charlie? Stand up comedy? Yeah. Or like any type of comedy work? Uh, I mean, I like writing yeah. funny stuff, but um, I, I don't, I think. Maybe not as uh, strong as Rick, but I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't have any interest in doing stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. But um, so yeah, if if you guys could like just really sum up um, like the gist of like neighborhood goons and like why you think it's appealing, like how you would pitch it to someone, like going to the fest, like what would you tell someone? It's a really fully formed comedy. It's a farce. It kind of is upsettingly relatable to most of us and the kind of cyclical part of our 20s that we might be in, in which we just generally do the same thing every weekend and work the same stupid job every week and never can really break out of it. And then the kind of hijinks that can uh, ensue from being in such a small world like that. Mm -hmm. Neighborhood Goons is a traditional comedy of errors where people say fuck a lot and fight and smoke cigarettes and you get to hear the Ramones at one point. So I, that's kind of how I've been selling it. And my, I yeah. told my mom my grandma couldn't come. <laughs> so if it, that tells you anything, I don't know. They, they let you have cigarettes in there, or is that... Oh, no, props? I don't, no, I don't think so. Use your imagination. But the yeah. Malord is real. That's... The Malord is real. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wait, well, that's a good at, question. At, at is one the point. Malord wheel real? Going to be real? Uh, I mean, How uh, do they feel at MTH about that? <laughs> it's as real as they want it to be. Sure. Hey, there you go. <laughs> Maybe they don't know what it is. Hmm. But okay, so this is airing on Tuesday, uh, like next Tuesday. So I think you will have done a couple. We'll have showings. done the weekend, yeah, and then we'll have some more after that. So yeah, when after that, when can people uh, see it, and when and where do they go? Uh, well, if they want to see it after, so next week, that's uh, on Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday at nine thirty each night. Uh, and it's at Crown Center on the third floor at the Musical Theater Heritage. Um, the tickets are 10 bucks after you buy a $5 fringe pass, so $15 total. Um, okay. But we'd love to have you out, and if you have trouble getting tickets, let us know. Maybe we'll give you comps or something. Hopefully we'll have a few comps left over. Or, yeah. you know, We're really popular. You can hold an <laughs> amp head and walk in and say you're part of the band. That works really well. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I've experienced doing that, so yeah, right. that works. I think they sell eighteen dollars servings of prosecco there too, so <laughs> you should make it out. If you like your sparkly Italian <laughs> wine, then yeah, yeah. it's a hot ticket. All right, well, um, I appreciate having you guys, like you guys driving out to be on the show. Um, I just want to remind people listening that um, you can go to shuttlecockmusic.com. You can subscribe. 
on iTunes and YouTube. There's the store on shuttlecockmusic.com where you can get a t-shirt and all that. Um, follow at shuttlecockmag on Twitter and Instagram. And there's a shuttlecock showcase happening at Mills Record Company on August 4th with uh, Throat Breach, uh, Itty Vice, Tommy Strasser, and Solomon. So you got some, some grindcore, hip-hop, and indie rock just all there for you. It's a free show. And we're part of the ADD podcast family, so check out new episodes from them. And, yeah, I appreciate you guys being on with me. Thanks for having us. It was a blast. Great to be here.